The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to episode 76 of the Love in Action podcast, where we help make your business and workplace be both good for people and for profits. Today, you're in for a treat. Many of you that follow me and my writings on Inc.com and perhaps you've heard me speak somewhere, you already know that I am a huge proponent for servant leadership. Now, I know I'm biased because I say it because I've seen the difference that it makes in the organization. So I have concluded that when it comes to high-performing organizations, nothing can match servant leadership. So if you're new to this idea of servant leadership and you're going, huh, what? what is he talking about? The idea is certainly not new to the business world. A guy by the name of Robert K. Greenleaf, he popularized the term back in 1970 when he wrote his famous essay called The Servant as Leader. And here's what he said, and I quote, the servant leader is servant first. It begins with a natural feeling that one wants to serve to serve first. Then conscious choice brings one to aspire to lead. And you know, it's funny. He also said that there is a best test of a servant leader. So if you choose to go on this journey of developing yourself as a servant leader, here's what it takes to pass this test. Now I quote from Greenleaf again. Do those served grow as persons? Do they, while being served, become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely themselves to become servants? Wow. Okay, that's a tall order. So I have found that even though servant leadership can transform organizations from the inside out, people in, in upper management and in higher places of, within HR they're quick to push back for various reasons and sometimes for the wrong reasons. For some, it just doesn't fit their current corporate culture. Okay, so that's fair. But for others, they've perhaps formed their opinions on the words servant leadership and what it means to them. And, and they're not going to buy in no matter the evidence supporting it. There's a lot of misunderstanding and confusion about what a servant leader actually is and does. So today, I decided to bring to the show a panel of distinguished scholars and experts, people that have informed my work and thought leadership over the years, to get right down to the bottom of what servant leadership actually is and how it can help you become a better leader. I'm joined today by Professor Dirk von Dierendonk. He is Dean of Faculty, Vice Dean at Rotterdam School of Management, Erasmus University in the Netherlands. Professor Vincent Jolito, and he is the Director of Executive Education at Emilion Business School, where he teaches strategy as an associate professor, and he joins us from Morocco. And last but not least is Bob Leiden. Professor of Management at the University of Illinois at Chicago, where he is Associate Dean of College of Business Doctoral Programs. 
gentlemen, such an honor to have you join us. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Well, thank happy you. to be here. Thank you for so, the invitation. Yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. So we got a lot to cover. And I want to get right down to descriptions because there are so many different ways to describe servant leadership in this day and age. So in the times that we're in now, what does servant leadership mean right now? Well, if I may jump in here, I think that servant leadership is even more relevant than ever. I mean, when you look at servant leadership, it's very much about an other-oriented leadership. It's about the relationship that you have with the people in your team, in your organization, but it's also about the impact that your organization has in the world. So it's also the broader impact that you look at. Now, we are now in a world where a lot of us are working from home. I mean, the, the three of us here are actually Zooming from home, not because we need to, because we are there. So what it means for a lot of us is that we are losing our regular context for people. So we need, in that sense, our leaders, our managers and supervisors to step up. And there needs to be much more attention for this interpersonal connection. I think that is what servant leadership brings. But also, if I look at the world as a whole, you see all the things that are happening, which all ask, you know, won't go into detail, but for more inclusivity. I think that's a very, very important point now. But if there is one thing that also servant leadership brings is this attention for the individual and for all the values and whatever they bring. So also from that perspective, I think servant leadership is the perfect leadership for, for this time and age. Mm. What about you, Vincent? How would you describe it? Yeah, well, the, the key dimension, I would say, is people first. Leaders put their people first. Leaders, servant leaders, put the interests of their people before the interests of their organizations and their own interests. And this is extremely distinctive. It, it sees the, 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 the servant leadership posits performance, organizational performance, organizational outcomes as precisely an outcome of what the people do and how they do things and and not as the the, the, the you know the, the the first thing that we must think about people first is really and it's in one of the dimensions one of the key dimensions of the of the evaluation of servant leadership developed by bob in particular that putting people first is really key to uh, servant leadership mm. bob what would, you, what would you add to that well i would add that Servant leadership is also unique among other approaches to leadership in that the leader is to be this kind of person in all realms of life, not just in the work setting. So it's not this helpful, supportive person in the work context and then at home yells at the spouse and kicks the dog. <laughs> you know, it's, it's someone who's, who's genuine in terms of focusing on, on others, and not just the family, but also the, the community in which he or she uh, lives. So that, that's another uh, defining characteristic of servant leadership. So let's talk a little bit about assumptions, because there's plenty of false ideas that people have about servant leadership. Maybe talk about what servant leadership is not. What are some, some common myths that you will hear? I could jump in with, with that one. In, in one of our studies, the CEO told me that although I'm, I'm very passionate about servant leadership, I have to be tough sometimes. 
And he said that a lot of people think, and this is his words, they think that servant leadership is just sunshine, hand-holding, and lollipops. It's just, it's like Disney World. And he said, it's not like that. And he said, in order to really help someone grow and become the person that they are capable of being, they sometimes need tough love. They need discipline. They need negative feedback. And that's a misconception about servant leadership. Yeah, yeah. And that it's all, you know, just uh, the sunshine lollipop and handle it. It's not that. Right. We often forget the leadership side of servant leadership, right? Just as you said, I mean, yes, people's feet are still held to the fire and servant leaders still demand excellence and results and accountability. Yeah, and if you may add, I mean, servant leaders are managers. You know, they are accountable for some organizational outcomes. And it happens that they are servant leaders. That, that, that's fine, but they are also managers. Or, well, depending, they, they might be uh, leaders in, other, in another setting, for example, community, family, whatever, and, and there the outcomes are not the same. But in a uh, organizational context, in a business context, they are managers, and 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 they a misconception of servant leadership would be to present servant leaders as just uh, leaders, you know, uh, people who are nice to work with, blah blah blah. No, those are guys or ladies who are very concerned with attaining uh, the organizational objectives, but they. Think about the organizational objective through people first. Hmm. Well, you're all world-class callers, and you've done really important research that has legitimized servant leadership in the 21st century. I'm going to ask each of you to talk about your most important findings from the research you've conducted that is going to inform our listeners how, how to make their businesses and workplaces better. Now, we'll get into that discussion after this short message. Don't go anywhere. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show. The question comes up often. What's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind love and action? Well, the simple answer, we need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization. So check it out. I'm taking calls right now, and I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com, and click on Virtual Training. We're back. Let's dive into the research on servant leadership. I'll start with you, Bob. What did you find that really stands out for you? I think what stands out most is how servant leadership 
compares with other uh, popular forms of leading people, such as transformational leadership, ethical leadership. There have been a number of studies now that shows that servant leadership outperforms those other forms of leadership in terms of job performance, employee attitudes, citizenship behaviors, things that go beyond what's expected in the workplace, customer orientation, and, and also turnover rates are lower. So there, there are benefits that, that exceed some of the very popular forms of leadership. What about you, Derek? What did you find? Well, what, what I see from my research is the importance of empowerment when you go into an organization. And what I think that one of the things that's important is that servant leadership opens up the possibility for more shared leadership. And, and that is a sort of contrast to what we normally do, because the normal idea of a leader is the one who has the vision and then gets the rest to follow up. If you go to a shared leadership, you're actually saying, I may have ideas, but I want to hear you and I want to hear your input. And let's jointly see what we are going to do and how we, not only what, how we are going to do, but even what the direction is that we're going to go to. And in some of the reasons that we have been doing in Rotterdam, it shows actually that teams that have this sense of shared leadership to really do it together, that these are the best productive teams. Mm. Vincent, I'm especially intrigued by new research from Emilion Business School, where you teach. That actually, I found out about it because I read on Forbes, they published a story highlighting mm-hmm. your, your research. And I think from a business standpoint, this is going to thrill leaders everywhere. What did you find exactly? There was a missing piece. There was a missing piece, which was the relationship between servant leadership and profit. And profit, profit was never an outcome in any study. The study that we published a few weeks ago concludes that there is an association between servant leadership, flourishing, sales, and profit. And we did so. Mm -hmm. So for the rest of you, because all of you were part of this research. So... Anybody can jump in here. What was especially significant about this research that you all conducted, especially during this pandemic? I was just going to say that, to me, the, the biggest takeaway of our study was that if you want to enhance the flourishing of your employees, you don't have to sacrifice the bottom line. In fact, yes. they, both, they both go hand in hand. Yeah. So it's a win-win. I think a lot of people feel that if you show that much devotion and concern for your employees, you're not going to profit very well. I know people on Wall Street are a little bit nervous about servant leadership, and they shouldn't be. They should be happy about it, especially with respect to long-term growth. Yeah, if I can add to that, I think one of the underlying process that you see here is the trust that you need to have or that you can have in people to do the right thing. Right? Instead of going directly to profit, you're actually working through people and you, you trust them. And that a lot of what our servant leadership research actually shows that, that that is a way to go at it. Because if you have the trust in people and allow them to flourish, to be the best they are, to grow, then they, from themselves, will sort of like try to do the best work they can do for the organization that they're in. And, and that will then drive the profit, but much more intrinsically motivated. And then you get the, the end-end result that you, I think, that, that you want in the end. Yeah, if I may just add, th- th- there is an assumption in business world that 
business only goes through carrot and stick. And if you don't handle the carrot or stick, you uh, can't have results. And servant leadership and servant leadership studies, uh, all the studies in that stream show the opposite. That, that's exactly what Bob and Dirk said. If you trust people, they will do the right thing. Yeah, I love it. So gentlemen, this is going to be a tough question because it means having to really dig up your mental archives, something that really stood out in not only this research, but all of the research you've done. I know it's an unfair question, but (laughs) of all the things you have researched, what would you say is the biggest truth about servant leadership? That's a tough one. Yeah, that's a tough one. You can see it. You hear in the silence that we really have to think about that. But the one thing that I found when I started to, to do this research, and I think I started about 15 years ago with that, is that when I went on and I was looking at all the research and all the things that we are, all the measures that we had, and then when you bring that together, that servant leadership is such a comprehensive leadership theory, style, or perspective, whatever you want to say at it, and that you indeed have all those different things together into one leadership style, whether it is attention for people, whether it's attention for how you are as, as a leader, you know, the sense of humility, that's an essential element of servant leadership, but then also this sense of stewardship to really look like, okay, what is the impact my organization has in the world? And within servant leadership, we have all those elements together. And that makes it to me for, I actually still after 15 years, the, the most rigid way of looking at leadership that we have. And I think that there is still a lot that we can profit for even going deeper and, and understanding it better. Yeah. Yeah, to me, well, it was a kind of incident insight from our study, uh, which was that servant leadership works, works well, works very well in times of crisis. There had been, this idea had been contested. This, this idea was torn apart by a couple of very interesting scholars saying that, okay, servant leadership is good when times are good. And our study was conducted at a time when business was not good. And even in those circumstances, servant leaders did better, people did better, businesses did individual businesses did better with servant leaders than without servant leaders so i don't want to extrapolate because of course a downturn in an industry has nothing to do with a pandemic however it calls a few questions we 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 are perhaps taught to rely on uh, superheroes transformational leaders charismatic leaders situational leaders in times of crisis, sorting out things out of nowhere, out of the chaos, by sheer vision, by sheer inspiration. And I would encourage to see the other way. I mean, people who do the job with people might be doing the job more effectively than those, you know, big persons. Yeah, it's funny. As I've looked over a lot of your research and, you know, each of you have a framework, right, for what you found and you boil things down to principles or practices or behaviors. 
but it's funny because I find that it overlaps. So we all kind of come down to, you know, they say all leads, all roads lead to Rome. And in this case, it's really about meeting the needs of people. And that's sort of my bottom line truth about what, you know, what, what is the biggest truth about servant leadership for me, as I've looked over your research, is that it's about the people. It's about empowering people and meeting the needs of people. And the cool thing about that is, and that's the business case, because now you, you have linked it to profit, is that when you set up your employees for success, the employee experience is going to be out of this world. And then that correlates directly to the customer experience. There's your business case. And I just love how that is all linked together. So let's dive deeper into leading in a time of crisis. I mean, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And at least here in the US, we got on top of that, we got racial unrest. So what is the best approach in some ways that we can lead as a servant leader? Well, I think that there are some challenges because as Dirk mentioned at the outset of our discussion today, servant leadership relies on, on close personal interaction with followers. It's, it's listening. It's understanding people's interests, desires, their fears. It's something that we research called perspective taking, which is like empathy, you know, where you're able to put yourself in the other person's position. And those are all things that, that are really uh, critical when people are fearful of what's happening in a crisis situation. What makes it so challenging, though, is, is how can you do that virtually? Mm. What has been the case for me personally is that I have no problem, and I try to be a servant leader myself. I'm not sure if I'm that good at it or not. But for people who, who I've already formed a, a personal relationship and, and have had a lot of face-to-face contact with in the past, going virtual has not been a, an issue at all. What's been challenging is... For example, I have some new, new doctoral students who I've interacted with only virtually. I have not met them yet. It's just so awkward. And so building that trust, the rapport that we've been talking about in servant leadership, I think is much more challenging when you're missing that, that person-to-person component. Mm. 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 Bob, you mentioned you know, listening. And there are so many, so many servant leadership traits. And so is there one that's really difficult for people to kind of internalize and carry out? And if you choose that, whoever in the panel would like to take this question about, well, what is that one servant leadership trait that's so hard for us to actually practice? Why is that as well? Uh, I think the most difficult thing to, to, to master is very, very general, and that is to fight off your instinct to focus on self-interest. I mean, Darwin talks about this in terms of survival, that that's why people focus on their self-interest. And I think in the caveman days, that was, that was necessary. You needed to focus on protecting yourself. But in today's world, we need the opposite. Like Dirk was saying about sharing, leadership, uh, sharing leadership, we need, in, the, in today's world, we need the opposite. We need to focus on others if we're going to survive. And adding to that, I think it follows up. One of the other things is very difficult is what I would call trusting the process because you do not know what's coming out of things. And especially now, we have no clue. We don't know how long it's going to take. So, and still, because you have less control because people are working from home, 
that means you have to trust them even more. And you have to just trust that when they come together and link together, then that will be that 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 it will be going in the right direction. And okay, you, as a leader, of course, you need to be there. You need to give direction. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but to then to be able to step back and trusting the process is a very difficult call for a lot of people in leadership positions. Mm, yeah, gentlemen, I want to talk about if I'm a new employee on the job, and I want to make sure that I. I bought onto this idea that, hey, I have been hired by a server leadership organization. You know, it's a great attraction for bringing people in to your company, you know, as a hiring strategy. So if I'm new on the job, how will I see servant leadership clearly demonstrated maybe the first week or first day or first month? I take this one, if I may, because it gives me the opportunity to develop a little on flourishing. Flourishing has been uh, conceptualized by Seligman, you know, the guy from positive psychology in the turn of the century. And there are five dimensions. And the five dimensions are first positive emotions. So you are entering a company and things or people makes you smile. Well, that's a good sign. Positive emotion. Second, Engagement or flow, probably you have heard about flow. If you see people deeply engaged in something that looks fascinating, something that they are passionate about, that's probably a second thing, flourishing. This is, again, from the outcome. Third, relationship. If you see that people around are smiling to each other and interacting with one another in a nice, yeah, in a nice way, that's a third sign. Four, is meaning if your boss, if your, I don't know, your manager, the HR people explain you what the purpose of the company is, what the company is all about, not only for the profit, for the, for the sales, for the profit, for the money, but also for the community, as Bob mentioned. This is the fourth sign. And the, 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 the fifth sign is about accomplishment, meaning the feedback. If you get feedback about what you had what you have accomplished, perhaps not in the first day, but let's say first month. Those are the five dimensions of flourishing. And while it might be that you are in presence of a servant leader, yeah. Anybody would add anything else? Yeah, I think the initial orientation is, is really important. In one organization where we conducted a study, four managers even begin their job their new jobs, they go through servant leadership training and they learn about the culture and they learn about what, what servant leadership all is, all, is all about. Yeah. You know, yeah. the trust, the humility, being grateful for things, forgiving people, et cetera. That initial uh, introduction to the company, I think, is, is critical. What we found also, and, and others, other researchers have found interestingly, is that one also needs to consider the, the past experiences the, the newcomer has had because newcomers who have always had command and control leadership in the past might be a little bit skeptical of, a, of this new servant leadership environment. It's like, what is this, some new way to exploit me? <laughs> what's, what's going on here? So it may be more challenging to, to get those people on, on board. So certainly, you know, know something about the, the past of newcomers that you've brought on board. 
That's interesting that you point that out because you can easily disengage your employees by forcefully ramming servant leadership down their throats, right? Which defeats the purpose to be mm. with. So we're not talking about a program or a, an actual program. A lot of people put together programs, right? Employee engagement programs and retention programs. But we're really talking about a mindset here, aren't we, guys? Yes. That's yeah, not a recipe. That's the thing. Right. You know, it's not like do this, 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 and then you will the perfect servant leader. It's something you grow. It follows from your values. And it also means that if you look at organizations that wanted to work more with servant leadership, it took them quite some time. It took them a lot of times, a few years to go there. And what they, a lot of them did was to really look at what does it mean for our culture, for our organization, and what we need to do. And then finding it out together. You know, and that is also very important to do it as, a, as, as, a, as an organization. That's great. Ah, so good. So let's extend the conversation to culture. So speak to the CEO, you know, devising a kind of an approach to, okay, we want to build a servant leadership culture. I mean, are there steps or principles that they can start to put into play here? Mm. Well, that's a, that's a great question, especially in light of, research that, that indicates that the most successful companies in terms of developing a servant leadership culture are, are those that were founded by a, a CEO who was passionate about servant leadership. So, yeah. you know, the classic cases you mentioned, or not or indirectly, you mentioned Southwest Airlines before Herb Kelleher was very passionate mm. treating employees well. You know, that I think is a real challenge to try to transform an organization that previously was not a servant leadership-led organization into one that, that is. I think that that's something that we still need to uh, explore much more deeply in the, in the research. Hmm. Maybe there is a small paradox here. I mean, servant leadership is putting people first. So the top-down approach for imposing servant leadership is not the right approach by definition. I mean, it is, it is, it is about transforming the idea of building a culture. The, the, the servant leadership culture should associate not only the top, but the middle and the bottom. If, let's say, a very charismatic, very uh, out-of-this-world person wants to engage in a servant leadership transformation of the culture, probably it won't work. If this person is more reflexive and asks, asks questions, asks questions around, asks questions to themselves about what is it that makes long-term performance, that makes people happy and long-term performance, perhaps it will transpire. So there won't be, and I like the point, uh, it won't be a servant leadership program. To the contrary, servant leadership culture may emerge just from the ability of the CEO, top management, the middle management, the, the, the rest of the company to just take a step back, as Dirk mentioned, take a step back and what it is to lead, what is important to us, what is important to us as a community, what is important to us as a company, as an organization. Is it, is it short-term profit? Are we working for the short-term profit? Well, it won't work. On the contrary, by contrast, if, if the, the, the question is what is important to us, is it the contribution that we make to a community? Perhaps there might be some, yeah, you know, sparks of servant leadership 
generating fires of servant leadership throughout the company. And it cannot be controlled. I mean, not, not in an Excel sheet. It, it's, it's, a, it's a culture, you know? Can I maybe add two things to that? Because I think when you talk about building a culture, it also is about getting the right people on board, right? Because if you are working in a, in a servant leadership organization, it means you have the sense of maturity. You have to be willing to take responsibility. That's the other side of a shared leadership approach is that you are willing to do things from yourself. So you have to get the right people there that want to work in that, that way. So, so this is a very important point to me. And the other one is, it has to do with your HR policies. And one example, for example, that is, what kind of people are you going to promote to leadership positions? Because whatever you're saying, the one who gets promoted, but who that person is, what that person is doing, how that person's behavior, that's going to be copied to others in the organization. So you have to make being a servant leader, whatever that means to your organization, part of being promoted to the next level. And I think that's an essential way of signaling within the organization that you are really serious about what you want and how you, and the kind of culture that you want. That's great. Right, and it needs to happen at all levels of the organization, not just at the bottom or in pockets. It needs to be throughout the organization. Right, right. There's a lot of research that backs up what, what Dirk just said about the importance of modeling. There's research that we refer to as trickle-down research that shows over and over again that the behaviors of top-level leaders are mimicked throughout the, the lower levels of the organization, whether they be good or bad. So like abusive supervision tends to trickle down to lower levels, as does servant leadership. And of course, you want the leadership to be engaged in ethical, the, the serving kinds of behaviors, and, and then those will be modeled by others. Yeah. I'm wondering if it can be modeled as a way to lead up. In other words, you're a middle manager, but your upper management, your CEO, your VP doesn't buy into this. And so you decide you want to take it upon yourself to be a servant leader to your team or function or department, right? Can that travel upwards and influence people at the top? I think it can if the results are there. The, the trick mm-hmm. is that, as we mentioned earlier, this is a, a, an approach that focuses on the long term, not the short term. You have that sometimes. You have those pockets, right? Those teams, the departments that are doing really well because they have an enlightened sort of like leader. And sometimes that becomes visible. You have then an employee survey and then apparently this, this team or this department then gets the highest rating there. And then, of course, the rest of the organization starts to look at, hey, what is happening there? And in and, and that sense, and then you get your influence. But it, it's probably not, not easy, but it can, it can happen if you do it in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you validated what, what comes my way a lot is middle managers saying, yeah, I don't work for a boss an executive that believes in this, but I do. So they asked me, is it possible that I can actually make a difference in my own sphere of influence? And I'd say, of course, of course, yes. but you have to have the numbers to back it up if you're going to influence those above you. So yeah, you spoke to that. Thank you so much. I have saved this question for last because mm-hmm. so many people work in fear. They fear their bosses. They fear losing their jobs. They fear speaking up and having a voice. 
even when the situation may demand for them to speak up. So why do you think, anybody can, can jump in here, that fear-based management styles are still so prevalent today when the evidence shows that servant leadership and leading through care leads to business outcomes? Yeah, and I think, Bob, it was you that said that, uh, or, um, that uh, you know, fear works for the short term, but it's just not sustainable, right? Right, exactly. It's just so difficult to, to be a servant leader. You know, it takes a lot of practice. It's one thing uh, being in the management field that I've never really understood. People don't understand how this is a skill that needs to be developed. It's not unlike being a ballerina or a classical pianist or a star athlete. Do, do those people just watch a video or go to a workshop for two days and, and, and become, uh, you know, great ballerinas or classical pianists? No, of course not. They have to practice and practice and practice. And why is it that we don't think the same is true of managers? Mm. It takes mm. a lot of work and, and effort. And, and just yelling at people and, and, and instilling fear in them is, is a lot easier than listening, understanding, developing compassion, understanding, and, and bringing out the full potential in them so that they really trust you. That is, that's difficult. And I think that's why it's not happening. So hmm. my word of advice to all your listeners is, is just hang in there and be patient. Hmm. Hmm. Wow, this has been a great conversation, guys. Before we wrap up, is there any question that I did not ask that I should have asked that's pertinent to our discussion? Perhaps just one. I mean, in a practical way, I mean, servant leadership starts with very, very, very small things. And I mean, well, I found myself in the position of giving advice to executives such as, are you sure that you say hi to the people in your office every morning? Are you sure that you send a note or a brief note on a regular basis just to say hi, just to say to the people in your team, in your organization, that they matter, that they are important to you? Well, I do the exercise. I try to practice myself. I do the exercise. And well, uh, well, it's not always easy. Sometimes I forget every morning to send a note, especially in a virtual uh, configuration. So it's easy to forget to, to just do that. So it starts with small things. Hmm. Well, we get to wrap up today by having you close us out with one final takeaway or, you know, just a, maybe a, a closing remark that will make a difference in, in how we lead and work. And Vincent, I will start with you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you for this conversation. That was absolutely great. It was a great opportunity to see this team, this great, great team. I have been very fortunate to work with. That, that was really great. Closing remark. I mean, our studies just closed this loop of the reasoning between good leader, happy people, profits. It works. Servant leadership works. I mean, three words, servant leadership works. And I would say that's it. Dirk? Maybe a first step, stop talking, start listening. Wow. Bob? Well, for, for me, uh, I have to admit, I was, I was somewhat skeptical when I did, did, uh, did work on my, on my first study on servant leadership. 
I had been doing research on leadership for over 20 years prior to that, looking at other approaches. And so I thought that first study might have been my first and last. You know, if I wasn't able to, to accomplish more with servant leadership than these other approaches, then it wasn't worth continuing uh, this program or research. And yet, as Vincent just mentioned, I mean, study after study, I find these positive results for servant leadership. So the evidence is clearly there. And again, it's the evidence should motivate people to be patient and take the time to listen and focus on others. Again, it takes practice though, so, but be patient. I said this offline, I'm gonna say it live on the air here that you've made a huge impact in my life, in my work and how I help people become servant leaders in my practice, coaching and training, et cetera. So I just wanna acknowledge all three of you that and so I've sort of been stalking you for a few years now, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I want to tell my listeners that if you want to start your research, start with these three scholars that I'm speaking with today. Speaking of where we can find you, why don't we go ahead and send it around? What's the best way for people to, to connect with you? Where can they find you? Let's start with Bob. Uh, well, probably the easiest way is just getting on the... Uh UIC, the University of Illinois at Chicago uh, website, and there you can find information about me. And email is, I'm kind of an old timer, so email is probably the best way to connect with me initially. Do you want to give your email address? Uh, yes, it's Bob Lyden, B O B L I D E N, at UIC.edu. Perfect. How about you, Vincent? Well, the simplest way is through LinkedIn. Just type Vincent Giolito in LinkedIn. That's probably uh, linkedin.com slash in slash vgiolito for the URL. And I guess that's the best way to reach out to me. And yeah, I'm and happy to help. Great. And Giolito is spelled G-I-O-L-I-T-O. Thank you for this correct spelling, <laughs> Marcel. That's great. How about you, Dirk? Well, you can find me at, in the website also from the Rotterdam School of Management in the, in the Netherlands. I think that's the easiest way to do that, just to Google me and find me. And then I have a page and an email address. And my email address, before you ask it, it's my name. So that's dvandierendonk at rsm.nl. And just for the correct spelling of that, we won't take the time here because it's so long, but I will, have it. I, I will, I will <laughs> have it in my show notes on my website. So I'll make sure that. Thank you. Dirk's email is there. Thank you so much. Well, the old cliche goes, you are a gentleman and a scholar. In this case, this is true on both counts. And I thank you for spending time with me today. I hope you had as much fun as I did. So thank you for having us. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks very much. It was, uh, it was fun. Thank you, Marcel. Really a pleasure. My special thanks to my distinguished panel today, and thank you for joining us and spreading the Love in Action movement globally. We would be grateful if you could share it with others. Visit the archives for other great conversations on my website at marcelschwantes.com. Finally, if your company would like to sponsor episodes of the Love in Action podcast, you can reach me on my website or on LinkedIn or Email me personally at marcel at loveinaction.club. That's marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L, 
at loveinaction.club. This show was produced by One Stone Creative. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us on the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed this show and want to help get the word out, make sure to subscribe and leave a review.